0: The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Well, one of your greatest fears may have come true. I am going to preach this morning. <laughs> and uh, the good thing is, in case I never get asked to do this again, I've prepared about an hour and a half of material. So I want to get it all out, you know, while I have the opportunity um, I'm kind of joking about that. But no, I'm very honored and humbled to be here this morning. To stand here, to open God's word with you. To seek God's word to illuminate our hearts. That we would come underneath it. That we would come humbly before it. uh, Under its authority, under its power, under its counsel. And that we would be changed. So I'm... Just so honored to be serving in this way this morning. We have been in a series in the Apostles' Creed for for many months now, and we have unpacked that each and every week, beginning with, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born. Of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, was dead, was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. We talked about what it meant for Christ to descend down into hell and then ascend to the Father and sits at his right hand. We've talked about what it means for Christ to come again to judge the living and the dead. And last week, Bill unpacked this beautiful message on the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And he talked about how if Jesus is the word and he is the lyric, the Holy Spirit is the music that invites us out onto the dance floor of life to lean into all the fullness of the life that God has for us in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we've been talking a lot about in the creed about God and who he is. His nature, his personhood, this relationship that he has as a triune God. And this morning, we move into a time where we look at how we relate to one another. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And we're going to camp out on that this morning. What does that mean? And before we get too far down the road, I've been chatting with people in preparation for this, and they've said, Oh, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about the Catholic Church. Well, I'm going to go ahead and let you know what we're talking about when we say that word Catholic. We're simply saying that it is a unified body. It's one. It's universal. Okay? So it's all saints of all ages, all races, and all places. So if that's going to trip you up this morning, you're you're free to, to move past that word. It doesn't mean Roman Catholic. It just means Catholic and one universal body. Okay? That's what we mean when we talk about that. But we're going to break this out. What does it look like for us to be holy? What does it look like for us to be unified? And what does it look like for us to believe in a church where Christ is the head? So that's where we're going this morning. But before we go there, I want to ask you a question. All right? And I want some participation. I normally do this in much smaller settings, and so it's a little easier to interact. But I'm going to encourage you to participate. Raise your hand and say, yeah, that's, that's me. Have any of you ever had a bad taste in your mouth? Ever? Okay. Fantastic. I have, just like you, when I was a little guy, I wasn't quite the angelic, glorified saint that I am today. I know that's hard to believe, but I wasn't. And my mother, who was a woman of God, but also a woman of her word, would say to me, if you continue to talk that way, if you're disrespectful, if you're rude, or if you say words that are off limits that no little child should be saying, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. And she did. She would take that bar of soap and cram it in my mouth. And unfortunately, I didn't learn the first, the second, the third, or it took many, many times for me to to understand that this was going to happen if I continued to talk in that way. But there was a bad taste in my mouth, and there was no amount of Capri Sun or high C or sandpaper that was going to get that taste out of my mouth for a very long time. So that was when I was a kid, and of course we've all tasted things over the years at restaurants and places that left just this off-putting, sour, bitter taste in your mouth. But more recently, during Holy Week, I had a very, very bad taste in my mouth. Right here in this very room, actually... Over here on this part of the stage. See, I bought one of those stainless steel coffee mugs that you guys have, right? I didn't get the Yeti one, so I saved $312. I only, only spent $7 on mine. Good for you if you did that. But I, I don't do that. And, and, and I drink black coffee. Fresh, black coffee. No cream, no dairy. I don't need Butterfinger or, you know, Hazelnut or Snickerdoodle stuff in my co- I just drink black coffee. So I'm in here, I'm in the sound booth, and I'm taking a sip of my coffee with my stainless steel tumbler, and I come over here, and I'm doing some things, take a sip of my coffee. And then I was standing over here near the stage, and I was flipping through some music in preparation for some of the services, and I reached to my left, and I grabbed a stainless steel coffee tumbler, and I put it up to my lips, and I drank it. It was one of your coffees from Sunday morning that had dairy in it for 3 days and i ingested that oh yeah ooh yes ooh maybe you know who you are there's a time of confession and repentance later but it was awful i'm not over it i am not over it as as i'm talking about it here in front of you today but i had a bad taste in my mouth and for some of you maybe many of you you have a bad taste in your mouth about the church You do, you do, because you've been hurt or you've been wounded or you've been jaded or disillusioned, you've moved into places of cynicism, you've, you've got a bad taste in your mouth because something has happened along the way in your experience with the church and you've got a bad taste in your mouth. And I want to just go ahead and put my cards all out in front of you this morning before we go any further. My relationship with the church over the years has been somewhat of a love-hate relationship. It's been bittersweet, if you will. See, I grew up in the church, and I, I loved the church. I was there every time the doors were open, and many of you had that experience, especially in decades prior to this, when the church was really kind of the the center of community life, and you were there every time the doors were open. Well, that was me. I was part of Bible drill. I. If you can believe it, played church basketball. I did that, and then I was part of the youth group, and then I led worship, and then I helped out with kids camp, and I was a summer counselor, and we went to camps, and we did mission trips, and I loved the church. I loved the church. But then when I went off to college, and I started seeking a church to belong to, and then came on staff at a church, I I became very wounded and very hurt by a lot of things that I saw, a lot of things that were said to me, a lot of things that were done to me. And I was cynical and I was skeptic. I had a very bad taste in my mouth about the church. So I come to you today saying, I understand. If that's where you are, I understand. But I will tell you this. God has done a great redemptive work in my heart. And he has used this congregation primarily to draw me back to the beauty of the body of Christ. So I want to say thank you. Thank you for loving me and my wife well. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for encouraging us. Thank you for pursuing holiness and unity. Because God has brought me back into a deeper love and affection for his body, for his people, for his bride. So this morning, I want you to know I don't stand above you. I stand with you. Okay? And I hope that we can journey together to see what the scriptures say to us about the church, who she is. And how we are to believe in her and to have our lives invested in her. So this morning, we're going to look at a primary text, which is Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have a copy of God's word, I invite you to turn there. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to be in a couple of... I'm going to move in and out of a couple different passages. But this is going to be the primary text. And Paul writes in verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember at one time... You Gentiles in the flesh call the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Let's just pause there. Do you remember what it was like to be without God and to have no hope in this world? Do you remember what it was like to be a stranger to his covenant promises? Maybe you're here this morning and, you, and that's where you are. You are without hope in this world. You don't know about the covenant promises that exist in this Bible. This word of God. But now, verse 13... In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. For it has power and it has authority. It is truth. And Lord, amidst all the voices of this world, this morning. Would yours be the loudest? Would it be the clearest? Would it be the one that we hear? God, not even the sound of my voice, but your voice speaking in and through me to bring hope, to bring truth, to bring counsel to your people. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We believe in a church that is holy. What's that word mean? We've, we sing it, holy, holy, holy. We stand, holy is the Lord. We stand to lift up our hands. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. What does that word mean? Many of us think that it means, well, just not doing bad things, right? I'm just trying to keep myself clean. I'm trying to, I remember when I was a young boy, I was a part of Royal Ambassadors. And we had this pledge that we said, and it said, to keep myself clean and healthy and mind and body And it was a lot of abstaining from something. But holiness is also a pursuit of something. It is a set-apartness. It is a sacredness. It is abstaining from the things of this world. But it is a pursuit of something. And that pursuit is of a person. Jesus, who is holy and imitating his life. We are to be a holy people, a set-apart people, a sacred people. Paul says this in the first chapter of Ephesians, verse 4. He says, God chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. See, the word of God is always pointing us to holy living. God's word through and through, cover to cover, is concerned about the holiness of his people. And we are a people, and we are to be a holy people. The scriptures tell us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You've probably heard this passage before from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is gone, the new is gone has come. So we're made holy and we're made new creations. And if you are a new creation and you are a new creation and you are a new creation and you are a new creation, what God is doing is not just leaving us these isolated new creations. He is bringing us together to make a new humanity. That's the church. A new people. People who... Did not know one another. We're estranged. We're separated. He's brought us together. And he's called us to be holy. Romans chapter 13 says, Cast off the works of darkness and put on the works of light. We are to be holy. Colossians chapter 3 says this. as is talking about putting on the new self. It says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy, holy and beloved. This is what we're to put on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We bear with one another. We forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven us. He just got through a few verses ahead of that saying, put to death earthly Desires. Put to death sexual immorality. Put to death impurity. Put to death passions and evil desires and covetousness and idolatry. Put away anger. Put away wrath. Put away malice and slander. Obscene talk from your mouth. Instead, put on holiness because your God is holy. And when we live as holy people, we reflect. The glory and the beauty and the holiness of our God. When we don't live that way, we diminish that. We give the world a false image of who God is. We are to be holy. The church is to be set apart. The church is different from any other institution. The church is different than any other institutions. And in Ephesians just a few verses ahead of where we read, it says this, chapter 1, verse 22. God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are the church we are his body. We are the fullness of God, the expression of God. As it's been said, an embassy of heaven. That's beautiful imagery. An embassy of heaven to show the world what that kingdom looks like. We're to be a holy people. We're different than any other institution because Jesus Jesus died for his church. He gave himself up for her. These guys just got done singing this beautiful hymn. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his blood he bought her, and for her life he died. You know, Jesus died for the church. Jesus did not die for a civic organization. Jesus did not die for the government. Jesus did not die for America. Jesus did not die for your fraternity, for your sorority, for your business, for your social club, for your tennis group, for your golf foursome. Jesus died for his church. And she is treasured and prized. He loves her. For her, he died. For you and for me, he died. His holy people. But we've got a problem, right? Because we can say, I believe in a holy church, but you probably have experienced something different than that along the way. You've probably experienced someone who has not acted and holiness. The great label on the church is that it's filled with hypocrisy. And I'm not about to stand up here and say that the church is not broken and is not marred and is not flawed. We're humans. We mess up. We do. We, we sin. That's why we come every week and confess that and find renewal and forgiveness in Jesus But surely you've got a bad taste. Surely a few of you, at least this morning, have a bad taste in your mouth because you've seen people who are not set apart, who are not different, who were not clothed in compassion and kindness. You've been hurt. I have, that's been my story. I experienced that before. So the remedy for that, if that's you this morning, and perhaps you have a sour, off-putting taste in your mouth about the church, perhaps there's some bitterness that lingers Here is the remedy for that. Look in the mirror. How is your pursuit of holiness? How is your pursuit of righteousness? See, if you're like me, you hold people to other standards that you're not willing to live up to yourself. Probably not going to get an amen on that one, but it's true. We do. We're laissez faire, very lackadaisical about our personal holiness, but we demand so much of other people. So I ask you this morning how are you doing in your pursuit of holiness? We are called to be holy people. That's what we are. We have to live into that new identity. So we believe in a church that is holy. We also believe in a church that is unified. And as I mentioned earlier, we, we use that word holy Catholic church. It just means a unified church, a one body church, all saints of all ages, of all races, and all time, and all places. We see this beautiful picture in Revelation chapter 5 about what eternity is going to be like. Says that God has gathered to himself through the work of Jesus, the very Lamb of God, slain on our behalf, people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and place. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever been out of this country, been somewhere else, and tasted what that's like? It's glorious. It's so beautiful. It's a foretaste of what we will enjoy for all eternity. Our idea of the church should be so much more than what happens in this room. This is like less than a dot on a piece of paper in the whole span of eternity and what God is doing all across the globe right now. It's so vast. It's so big. And you know what God is doing? God is continually adopting people into his family. He's taking in the orphans. He's saying, come to me. You are mine. You belong to me. See, when we get that new identity, that new humanity, it's like we all get the same last name. Because God is our father. And Jesus is our elder brother. And everything that belongs to him, the scriptures say, we're heirs to all of that. We're all part of that family. We are to be united Look again at Ephesians chapter 2 and see what God has done for us through Jesus in the work of bringing unity. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. All right, the division that existed there, but when Christ, when Christ came, this is what he did in verse 13. Those who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So those who were far off, he has Brought near. Verse 14: For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So there was a wall of hostility that existed between us, and God has brought peace. God has brought peace not only from us to himself, but from us to one another. Verse 17, he came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. I'm not the brightest crayon in the box, but if he preached to those who were far off and preached to those who were near, that sounds like just about everybody. Peace is what he preached. For through him, Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. We're united in the Spirit of God. Verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You probably don't think this way, and I confess I don't all the time. But do you know that you are more tightly bound and knit together and unified to St. Augustine As your brother in Christ, than your very blood brother you grew up with. Unless he is a brother in Christ. But if he doesn't know Jesus, you are more bound to saints from first, second, third, fourth, fifth centuries than you are to your blood relatives, than you are to your children, than you are to your parents. Because Jesus, the bloodline of Christ, is the deepest, most profound, unifying bloodline there is. He has unified us and brought us peace, and we are one in him. I want to speak for just a moment of why we do what we do here on Sunday mornings. Bill and I firmly believe that there is so much there are so many good things from other traditions and other centuries and other time periods that we can pull from to make this a profound experience for the people of God every week. We gather, we do not gather to play songs that you like, or we do not gather to to sing songs that you are on your top ten list of songs you like to sing in church. We do not we don't do that. We gather together to rehearse and remember the narrative of God's redemptive story. And that involves ancient things, and that involves modern things, and everything in between. And we pull from Presbyterian backgrounds, and we pull from Baptist backgrounds, and we pull from Anglican backgrounds, and we pull from Methodist backgrounds, because after all, most of you are one of those anyway. Most of you are not all, didn't grow up Presbyterian. And we're pulling from different traditions in effort to unite us an effort to unite us. See, when we gather together to sing the songs of salvation, that is a uniting experience. And perhaps some of you here this morning are too fixated on the expression of that, that you miss the whole reason why we came anyway, to celebrate that Jesus is our peace. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you, lay all that down. Let it go and and focus so much more on Christ and who He is instead of how fast or slow a song is, how high or low it is, how new or old it is. Focus on the one in which we're singing to Jesus, because He's the one that unifies us. He is our peace. We believe in a church that's unified, but of course, you've experienced a lack of unity. At some point on the path along the way, you've experienced a lack of unity. You've seen divisiveness. And if you read and you study, the ones who seem to be most disillusioned and most cynical and most disenchanted with the church are the generations younger than myself. Many of them have just thrown the towel in altogether. And they've exchanged This gathering and the body of believers for being at home on a mobile device and listening to some pastor they've never met, and some worship band that has no presence in their life. And I'm not here today to diminish those things or say that they're bad, but God's design for us is that we are plugged in to a local body of believers, a congregation. And that we're united, not just with people who look like us and think like us, but with the breadth and width of the body of Christ. And that's one of the things I love about our church specifically, is that we have so many young families, so many older saints, and everything in between, and people coming from all over the place. Because you know what happens if we are all in the same demographic and we all have gone to the same kinds of churches and believe the same sorts of things our whole life? pride, because we believe that our experience of Jesus in the church is the best in the right way. I grew up that way. I did. I grew up Southern Baptist, and I grew up that that is almost like the way, the truth, and the life. That's what was ingrained into me. And I went, over to, I went to seminary in Boston and I began to sit with saints from all over the world, from South Korea, from Africa, from the UK. And I began to hear their story of how they interacted with Jesus and how he changed their lives and what their church was like and what their communities of faith were like. And I was utterly humbled at the arrogance and pride that I have. And I will say this to you this morning. If you are a white English-speaking Presbyterian person in America, do you know what you are in the kingdom of God? A minority. Our pastor, Bill McCutcheon, right now is in South Africa meeting with pastors and encouraging them. There is a great work of God happening all over the globe. And it's so much bigger than us. And it's so much bigger than what happens here. So church, perhaps it's time that some of the things that we bicker and disagree about and stand firm on, we need to just let those go. We need to just die to them and focus more on how we can be united. So if you have been hurt by conflict, by dissension, by broken relationships, I ask you this morning, who do you need to be made right with? Who do you need to be reconciled to? Jesus says this thing in Matthew, I think it's 18, 15 or 18, somewhere in there. He says if if you're coming to the altar and you've got a sacrifice and you're bringing that to worship and you see that you're in conflict with a brother, you need to lay that down. And you need to go and be made right. And maybe some of you here this morning, you don't need to sing another song. You need to go and be made right. You need to be reconciled. You need to be unified. And friends, I'll tell you the work of Jesus makes that possible. Because he is the one that brings peace. He is the one who can bring people who are estranged together and unify them. He is the one that can break down a wall of hostility and bring peace. He is our unity. And the third point, he is the head of the church. He is the head of the church. We read that in Ephesians 2 chapter 1 verse 22 and he god put all things under his feet jesus and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of all who dwells in him friends we have phenomenal pastors in this church we have phenomenal Leaders in our areas of ministry. We have phenomenal elders and deacons. We have people who are godly men and women in this church and in churches around us and in churches in the nation and churches across the globe. But Jesus is the head of this church. And we look to him. So when mortal men and women fail us and they mess up and they're sinful and they're broken, we don't give up on the church, we look to Christ. He's the head. He is our chief shepherd. If we're the body, we can't function without the head. We can't function without Christ. We can't be the church that we are called to be without Him in the lead. Jesus is the head of the church. So, if you've seen a misuse of power, if you've seen a moral failure, if you've seen someone using the church to build their own kingdom, look to Christ. Look to Him. He is our perfect pastor because He has brought us near by His blood. He has made us one by breaking down the walls of hostility. He has reconciled us to God and one another. He has given us access in the Spirit to the Father. He has made us fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. And He is joining us together into a dwelling place. I love those last three sections, three verses of this section. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Friends, we will remain devoted to the orthodox Christian faith and to this, the very word of God, the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. When all around us, the church or local churches or American churches looking to the culture to define it, to see which way we should go, what new things we should do, what teachings will connect with people, we will stand upon the word of God. And the foundation of the apostles. And we are to be grateful for the men and women. Bill talks about this all the time. The men and women who gave their lives. Standing in the places of truth. So that we could be here this morning. Continuing to rehearse and recite and remember the very word of God. We stand on their shoulders. They are our brothers and sisters. We are deeply knit to them as the body of Christ. In closing... We've talked in this section, not section, sermon series of the Creed, that the Creed brings balance and the Creed brings clarity and the Creed bring, brings community and the Creed brings counsel. The Creed brings balance and symmetry and that we remember that it's not just me and Jesus. Sometimes it seems that it'd be a lot easier that way, right? But then you got to deal with yourself. Yikes. Not always good. But it's not me and Jesus. The body of Christ is always corporate. It's always communal. It's always incarnational. So friends, if we look at the illustration of the body of Christ, do not dismember yourself from this body. But embrace it and be brought to it again. Be united with her. The creed brings clarity, what the church really is. We've seen a glimpse of that in the Word of God this morning. Andrew Schenck will pick up on these themes more deeply next week as we talk about the communion of saints and how we are to live out these things in everyday life with one another. But the the creed and the Word of God bring clarity to what the church really is. And it informs our community. I think we have talked through that pretty rigorously here this morning but it informs that we are to be unified not by the songs that we sing not because we live in the same place not even because we might have Presbyterian backgrounds or agree mainly on a lot of theological positions the thing that informs our community is that we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus and it gives us counsel if you find yourself this morning with a bad taste in your mouth, if you find yourself feeling disillusioned, bitter, resentful towards the church, I challenge you and encourage you, come back to her. Fall in love with her again. Rejoice in her. A quote from a dear friend and mentor of mine said this about the church. It's printed in the front of your bulletin if you have a copy of it. And I hope you might take it home with you. He said, This, I love the church. As a Christ follower, I have come to love everything about her her origin in the mind and heart of God the Father, her triumphant entrance into history through the life, death, and resurrection of God the Son, and her continuing witness through the presence and power of God the Holy Spirit. She is divinely instituted, His creation, and she is God's own possession, His body. She reflects truths that dip with redemptive tension, supernaturally conceived, yet so very human. Local and universal, organism and organization, victorious and suffering, always living the life of the future in the present, faithfully navigating the time between the times until Jesus Christ returns. Yes, I love that church. Let that church arise in our day, the beloved one engraved on his faithful hand and the one who still embodies the hope of the nations. Yes, I love that church. Yes, I love that church, and I hope that you do too. Pray with me. Father, sometimes it's so hard to reorient ourselves towards truth when our emotion and our experience has been different from that. It feels like we have so far to go to get back to where we once were. But we believe and we know that by the power of Your Spirit, our hearts can be changed in a moment. And we pray that You would do that this morning. That as we come to this table and we look to Christ and His work on our behalf, that we would do it as one body, a holy body. Your church, You are the head, our great and glorious Redeemer. We love You, we cherish You. Help us to cherish Your church, Your people, your body, your bride. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.